Hey there, welcome everyone, Michael Griffiths, founder of Referral Marketing Guru, and welcome to this week's Get More Referrals Today podcast. I've got a special guest for you today. I'm pretty excited about this. We've had this booked in for a little while, and minute by minute, as the days have counted down, I've gone, Phew, this could go anywhere, but I'm excited that it could go anywhere also. So very shortly, I'm going to bring you on our special guest. As always, if this is the first time you tuning into our podcast, welcome. It's pretty simple. We don't run ads. We don't do sponsorships. Uh, if you love the episode, make sure you share it. That's all we ask. If you're listening to it on your favorite podcast platform, uh, give it a review, share it around. If you're watching it across our socials or YouTube channel, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. So without further ado, I'm going to bring on our guest for today and welcome, self-proclaimed, but I'm going with it, world's most handsome man, Steve Sims. Welcome very much to today's podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. No, absolute pleasure. Now, we've been around each other without really being around each other for oh, good three, four years in similar circles. Uh, we've said hello and we're just reminiscing when we could actually travel, which was probably about three, four years ago over there in, in California. Uh, you're over there in, in LA. How about you just fill us in a little bit before we dive deep into a few things we want to get through today about yourself and an upbringing. It's not an American accent. So fill us all in. Well, well, you picked up on it very fast, didn't you? You're shrewd there. Um, I'm an East London boy. Funny enough, I went closer to your shore before I ended up over here. I left the UK, ended up working at a, a nightclub in Wan Chai, Hong Kong. Um, before I started quite simply hanging around some of the richest, most powerful people in the planet and inventing the world's leading experiential concierge firm. Moved from Hong Kong to Bangkok, Geneva, back to London for a bit, then over to Palm Beach. And I now here, sit here in Los Angeles, um, basically coaching, speaking and getting people out of the way of themselves. Love it. Love it. So I've always known you as the, the guy that could pretty much make the magic happen. Here I was seeing you at Hollywood party, seeing you at the red carpet, seeing you getting tickets to, to this and that. And I'm just like, who does he know? Pretty much everybody. But I suppose <laughs> in essence, what you've always been great at is being a great people person and keeping relationships. Talk to me a little bit about that. Do you know, funny enough, you're right and you're wrong. I think I'm a terrible people person, okay? Because I don't suffer fools gladly. I really don't care what you watched on TV last night or what your cat's name is. I have a low tolerance for that shitty kind of, hey, how's your day going? I am, my idea of hell is a networking event. You know, that that just like, oh, it makes me cringe. But I'm very, very good at focusing on relationships. And the reason I'm good at that is because I focus on what do you need. So when I was a doorman, I was poor. I had a bad job. I'm now letting rich people into my club. I wanted to find a reason for them to talk to me. So that's why I went out of my way. I thought to myself, what do rich people want? You know, they want good nightlife. They want fancy cars. They've got all the stuff for the cars. But for me... I could get them into clubs that they didn't know about. I could get them into parties that they didn't know about. So my whole career was a Trojan horse. 
I basically just got people to get into what they wanted to do, meet people they wanted to meet, not because I was a great people person, but I was a real strategic relationship person. If I look after you, if I get you what you want, you'll take the time out of your day to talk to me. It's a win-win. And that's what a relationship is. You know, I've got relationships with people that don't have money, but they make me smile. They challenge me. Every relationship you have has to benefit both parties. Otherwise, it's not a relationship. It's an association. How many of us have had buddies or pals? Let's be honest. After a couple of beers, they just irritate the shit out of you, you know? So for me, I thought, no, I don't have time for that. A relationship has to, I have to benefit you, you have to benefit me. And it sounds selfish, but it's the relationship I have with my wife. It's the relationship I have with my kids. Focusing on it being a win-win, and that's what I was good at. So not so much the uh, the people huggy, hey, how are you? But definitely strategically planning relationships for a win-win. Yeah, no, and I love that. As it hits down, when we talk about business just activate more extraordinary moments in your business and and you can do that when you're more heartfelt in the actions you do it's not surface level crap as you're talking about it's like no i understand that this real relationship is about man you need something and i need something and it's about the brain chemicals that each of those things disperse which makes us go hey yeah, I actually really like that person rather than surface level. I can tolerate that person. But yeah, love it. Why do people tend to get themselves in the way? So I know you you these days do a great job of <laughs> saying it how it is and giving people a good, good nudge. Why is it that people get themselves in the way? <laughs> Usually it's because that's too smart um, or worse, they think that's smart. You see, my my wife used to joke that my superpower was ignorance. And I would just do it. You know, if I had something to say, I would say it and then think about it later. And that's got me in trouble. So I've got better over the years at controlling myself. But there's far too many people that, that, that outthink themselves. And also that leads into fear and paralysis. It's the people, for argument's sake, that will spend a year doing a business plan and planning everything down to the nuts and bolts of how they're going to make a billion dollars with this project. And they plan themselves into paralysis or they've missed the window. How many business plans do you think were written in 2018 that said, Hey, we're going to launch. We're going to be absolutely fantastic. Oh, by the way, in 2019, a worldwide pandemic is going to come along and we're going to have to shut down for a year. And then we're going to start. It doesn't exist. You see, a business plan is an indication. It's a suggestion. It's an idea of where we're going to go. Me, I think a business plan should fit on one sheet of paper, even on the back of a postcard, and you should start actioning it. You should start doing something. So I do go up to people and go, okay, what are you doing? Well, we're planning this. Stop planning, start doing. Start asking people, hey, do you have that problem? Because I've got a solution. Find out if it works. So for me, I'm very bare bones. I'm very knuckle dragging. I go out to find out what you're trying to do. Does it have a market? Does it appeal to a generation, to an impact, to an emotion? And try to find out, do you have a client? Because let's be blunt. Businesses can have everything going for them. But if they don't have a client, 
If they don't have a customer, a consumer, they don't have a business. Yeah, 100%. So the sorts of people you work with, who are they? So the funny thing, and this is really funny, I never meant to get into it, but all the time I was getting people into events, I was only doing it so I could have that half hour conversation. Because as the poor guy, I wanted to walk up to a rich billionaire and go, hey, Johnny, you're rich. How come you're rich and I'm not? And that would be the question that I would ask some of the richest people in the planet. And I got the answers. So then I started actioning it. And now I'm pleased to say I'm not as poor as I used to be. Um, and so as this was growing, the people I started working with and the events I started working with went from, you know, nightclubs in Macau and Wan Chai, Hong Kong, to Elton John's Oscar party, the Grammys, the Kentucky Derby, the New York Fashion Week, the Formula One Monaco. I started working around the world on some of the largest events and then without realizing it, got into the marketing and branding around those. How do you get sponsorship deals? How do you get the right kind of alignment with luxury brands to elevate your status? Or how do you make sure you don't get the wrong ones to decrease your status? So I ended up really getting into the world of media. And then when my book came out, you know, like three or four years ago, all of a sudden people were coming up to me going, hang on a minute, how come a bricklayer from London is working with Formula One, with Naris, with, with these massive organizations? And I would tell them, and I would keep it very, very simplistic. That's how it worked. For some reason, I feel as though the impact is ignored and everyone tries to prettify everything or outsmart each other. And I think that's the big problem we have today. Yeah, love it, love it. Uh, I hear all of our listeners going, come on, ask that one question we want to know. So I'm going to ask it. What did, the rich guys, what did the rich guys tell you of why they were rich and you weren't? Actually, brilliant question. And, you know, seriously, I have laid that nugget or that kind of carrot out there. You're the first one that's ever grabbed it. So I've never understood why people have done this. Again, they, they're, they're too smart for their own good. So here's the mistake I made. Right in the early stages, I would never pick on the poor people in the nightclub because I knew what it was like to be poor. There was no point in me asking a poor person, what's it like to be poor? I bloody knew that. So I would pick on the guys ordering like expensive bottle services and spending 15 grand a night. Those were the people that I would try to strike up a relationship with. And my first question with these people was a terrible one. I would literally, after the event that I'd got them into, I'd say, hey, Johnny, Billy, Michael, did you enjoy last night? Hey, I've got a question for you. How come you're rich and I'm not? And it was a very blunt, direct question, but it was a bad question. And the reason it's bad is if I turn around to you and I say, hey, you know, why? how come you're rich and I'm not? You instantly think about monetary. I ask you about being rich. You think about how much money's in your bank account, in your portfolio. And it, the, how come you're rich and I'm not? You turning around and going, well, I got four million in the account. How does that help me? That doesn't actually give me any, just tells me you got a lot of money, but it doesn't give me any advice. So then I tweaked my question and I would say to people, hey, how come you're wealthy and I'm not? I literally tweaked the question I was asking. Then I would get people say to me, well, I found God or I found what completes me, or I married my wife and I found children and I found the walking in the hills and meditation. 
That doesn't help me. I'm not going to marry your wife. So this wasn't information that was helping me. So I tweaked my question again. And the third time I actually came out with, how come you're successful and I'm not? That was the home run. All of a sudden, people are going, ah, it's mindset. Or you have to look at things like this. Or you have to do. And I realized something. I realized something that was different to anybody that, for anyone that had ever explained anything. People think when you want to be rich, you've got to go for the money. Okay? It's like buying a diet book and thinking you're going to lose weight. You don't lose weight from buying the book. You lose weight from actioning the book. You get money in your bank account by changing the way you look and react at opportunities. It's your mindset, and changing your mindset costs you nothing. So by changing your mindset to how you view and accept opportunities, interaction, relationships, by changing that to replicate and emulate how successful people do it, you become successful and the opportunities come, which give you the monetary value will actually increase your bank account. So becoming rich is a byproduct of becoming successful. And that was the thing. And I've always said, if you don't like the answer, you're asking the wrong question. And that's why I tweaked. And that was the answer I got. You got to change your mindset. It's all in the mind first. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Your book, uh, Blue Fishing, as you mentioned, came out uh, a few years ago, three, three, four years yep. ago. Yep. Talk to us a little bit about that. What, what's, <laughs> so, how did it come about? Why did you want to write it? And what's it about? <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> I didn't want to write it. For anyone out there that's trying to write a book, I apologize about the next story. But I never wanted to write a book. I was literally in a party up in New York, and I had just finished doing an event in Florence uh, where a client of mine wanted to have a, a dinner experience in Florence at a great restaurant. I thought that was pretty lame. So I took over the Academia de Galleria, which is the museum that houses Michelangelo's David. I shut an entire museum down, and at 9 o'clock at night, set up a table of six at the feet of Michelangelo's David with a string quartet. And then while he's eating his pastor, I said, I've got a local singer that would like to come in and serenade you. And he's like, yeah, that's okay. And I brought in Andrea Bocelli. So that was the kind of stuff that I did, you know, drum lessons from Guns N' Roses, Formula One driving lessons in uh, um, uh, Maranello. Those kind of things was what I used to do. I was telling this story in a bar and this girl that I was talking to literally runs away from me. She ran away from me at such speed that the guy behind her at the bar looked at me to kind of go, what did you say, buddy? You know, she's running away from you at speed. She got this woman who was older than her, dragged her to me and went, tell that story again. Exa I want Tell that exact story again. So I did. Turns out the lady that she brought over was one of the heads of Simon & Schuster one of the largest publishing houses in America, or in the world, should I say. And she turned around and she said, you need to write a book naming all the rich and powerful people that you've dealt with and the things that you've done. And I said, no, because if I do that, I'll be dead before I order my next old fashioned. I can't name most of the people that I deal with from Russia, China, Korea, all over the planet. These people are not going to go in a book 
And if they did, they wouldn't be happy about it. So she went, okay, fair enough, fair enough. She took my details. The following Thursday, I'm back in Los Angeles from New York, literally got an email and attached a contract saying, hey, instead of writing a book naming who you've done these things for, we've done a bit of research. How about writing a book on how a bricklayer from East London ends up working with the Vatican and Sir Elton John? That's the book we want to hear about. So I went, okay. And that was it. Uh, Literally, they made a nice offer. I counted it, you know, counted it with asking for more. They gave it to me. Um, I think they were surprised they gave it to me. But they gave it to me. And then we started doing the book. And uh, four years later, or three and a half years later, it's been translated in Korean, Mandarin, Thai, Vietnamese, Polish. And it's just got launched in Russian. Um, and it's been a bestseller in all of those countries. It actually sold out all of its produced copies in Poland in two hours. So I've kind of been surprised at how well it's taken the planet. Yeah, love it. So the the theme and, and the things which we very much are in, in common about is you've gone about going, how do I do things which are remarkable which which just people go ha i didn't expect that to happen whether through the experiences that you've created for people and and through the events and and we're very much about that for consultants and and their businesses of going it's not hard to evoke brain chemicals in people that make people in the end create great loyalty and trust and, and inspiration from you why do most people, do you think, and in particular, I suppose, most organisations sort of just, they tick the box, they just do the outcome. They, they don't try to be more remarkable than what they really need to be. Do you reckon there's a reason why we're like that? Yeah, I think people, it, it, it's, we go for what's achievable and we also go for what the consumer would settle for. And that keeps us from being remarkable. You see, here's the thing. I have a saying that I teach all of my people, both in my coaching practice and in the old days in the concierge firm. Never give a client what they ask for. Give them what they lust and desire for. You see, people will come across to you and they will say, hey, I I want this. I want to do this. The first thing we do is go, oh, great. That sounds fantastic. Why is that important? And we start interviewing the client. We don't give them what they ask for or what they say because that's a transaction. And we're in a world where transactions are being completed by Amazon, Siri, Alexa. We don't want to become another transaction. So we breed loyalty. We command engagement by becoming remarkable and daring to challenge what the client asks you of to give you, therefore, what they lust and desire by getting in to the core uh, core point of the question. And I think a lot of companies today are like, oh, that sounds like too much hassle. The dumb thing is, it ain't that hard. Dare to ask your consumer, why do you want to buy this product? Hey, you've come to me. You want me to coach you? That's fantastic. Why? Why me? Why now? You know, dare to question your consumer and get into it. When you can start delivering remarkable, 
when you can start interviewing your clients and consumers to show that you care, that's what breeds loyalty. Not your stupid loyalty points that, hey, you buy this amount of stuff, you know, you get this amount of shitty points. That's bribery. You know, the bottom line of it is if the next door neighbor offers the same product at $10 less, they're over there. They couldn't give a shit how many point amount of points they built up with you. They don't care. Loyalty is bred by delivering remarkable wow emotion. Love it. Love it. Couldn't have said it better. Fantastic. Um, biggest lesson you've learned on your journey so far, what would it be? <laughs> People, there's an old saying that the uh, the richer you get, the more British you get. Um and it's funny that people, when they start making money, people interact with them differently. Now, we actually had two billionaires, okay, that were clients of mine, and I asked them to do a, a little thing for me. One of them, I convinced half of the room, was an entry into entrepreneurism. You know, didn't know much about it, needed help, wanted to set up. I think it was an engineering company that he had an idea on, okay? And we needed to help him. And so I had my team speak to that person as the upcoming entrepreneur. Bear in mind, the guy's a billionaire, but they didn't know that. And then I had another guy that I told the other half of my room, this guy's a billionaire. One side of the room on differently to one billionaire to than to the other guy that was not a billionaire. We look at people as a checkbook. When you see someone and he's a billionaire, you go, oh, it's such a pleasure to me. It's such an honor. And you suddenly put them on a pedestal. Now, the daft thing is rich people are poor people with a lot of money. That's the that's the only difference. They still like a cup of coffee. They still put their, their pants on the same way. They still go to the toilet. They're still normal people. My benefit in communicating with billionaires was I wasn't smart enough to talk to them as anything other than a normal person, but with a checkbook that could afford me. I didn't teach, I didn't teach, treat them any differently. Yet in the just you treated people differently when i revealed at the end of it that they were both billionaires i even quizzed my billionaires in front of my crowd who had the best connection with the people talking to them and the billionaire that we had already claimed was a billionaire he said none of them spoke to me they spoke at me at as a dollar sign they revered me because I had lots of money. They were in awe of me because I was a billionaire. None of them spoke to me. They spoke to my bank account number. And the guy that was the engineer actually said, I had some fantastic conversations with them because they wanted to help me. And so we had communication. We had conversation. We had challenge. He said, there's some cool people in this room that I got to chat with that I got to communicate with, that had they known I was a billionaire, that actually happened would not have been so open, would have been more guarded in that communication. And that's a terrible thing. Yeah, so powerful. Best book besides your own 
that you read recently? <laughs> that I've read recently? Oh, um, I'm going to give you a few. Um, Trust Me, I'm Lying is an older book by Ryan Holiday. And I reckon it's really apparent now, probably better than when it was written, um, because it talks about how the media is directing your response and your emotions and how you can actually use the media for your purposes. So trust me, I'm lying by Ryan Holiday. And then the other one would probably be hooked by Nair Eyal. Nair, I'm sorry, buddy. I always get your, your last name wrong, but it's called Hooked. And it talks about how the digital ecosystem is getting you to go down the rabbit holes. Um, and that's a that's a really good book as well. So I like both of those books. But I will have a, I have to give a shout out to my mate Jay Abraham. Anything by Jay Abraham should be on your desk. Simple yeah. as that. Love it. Uh, in terms of connecting with you, Instagram, uh, look up Steve Sims. But where else can they uh, connect with you? As I put up your site, stevedsims.com. Well, that's going to – look, you use Steve D. Sims anywhere you're going to find me, whether it be Twitter, LinkedIn, whether it be Instagram. I suppose one of my biggest groups is Instagram, but I've, all, I've also got a private Facebook group called An Entrepreneur's Advantage with Steve Sims. But, again, if you visit stevedsims.com, you'll find out everything you need to about me. Yeah, love it. So if you're listening to this podcast on your favourite podcast platform, look in the show notes and there'll be a link there to the website. If you're watching this across any of our socials, YouTube channel, it is going across your screen right now, as well as in the notes below. So make sure you uh, go, not just go to the site. There's a, a key thing that A, Steve mentioned, but we talk about all the time. If you want to change the situation you're in right now, you need to be around a different quality of thinker. That's what it is. Your thinking needs to change. And unfortunately, your thinking is what it is right now. And unless you are around other people who think differently, who think bigger, who uh, like the things that blow me away is go, how does someone even think of, you know what, I'll hire this room and I'll bring in the, this particular person to be able to, to be able to sin. Like, that's just part and parcel in Steve's thinking. Where for someone who hasn't experienced that, their thinking goes, holy crap, like how on earth do you do that? But when you're around someone often enough that you hear it over and over and over of what they're doing that's just extraordinary, you start to go, huh, okay, well, that's no big deal. Because it becomes part of the normal language patterns and comfort zone that you're experiencing. So get around these sorts of people. Okay, so stevedsims.com is where you're going to go to be able to find where to be able to, don't stalk him, but stalk him. Because you want to be able to hear the things that he's saying. You want to be able to listen to the language. And uh, this has been really enjoyable. So, Mr. Sims, thank you so much for jumping on and joining us. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. As always, guys, uh, this is your Get More Referrals Today podcast. If you've loved the episode, please make sure you share it around. There's lots of people that need to be able to hear this. Our mission is simple, to inspire a million consultants every single year to play a bigger game in their business, to win every day, to be more profitable than ever before so they can contribute and change society for the better. So make sure you share this. Uh, make sure you give it the reviews that 
you would like, that you've enjoyed it, and get the word out there so other people can be more profitable and help contribute change society for the better. Till next week, take care, and we'll speak to you real soon. See you later, all.